You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Very excited to talk with you today. I was just thinking, you know, just a couple minutes ago, I'm like, man, I am just so in the mood to podcast. I've been really trying to crush a lot recently. Um, lots of solo episodes. I, I seldom am very ahead on my solo episodes, but I've really wanted to get ahead. Just in preparation this year, you know, with the the baby coming and lots of big plans and things. And and with launching this this locals page, you know, because I want to really invest in that and really make it special. And so I know that to create that content, I can't be podcasting every day and trying to write and trying to do all these other things. So I've been um, just crushing them lately, and it's it's so fun. I've just been really excited to to talk about this topic in particular, to get into emotional excellence, and to just talk about excellence in all these different ways, right? Because I want to change the way that we approach and we look at these different aspects and areas of our lives. That's ultimately what this is about, right? We are here because we want to learn and discuss and think about and be intentional about the ways in which we live our lives and the ways in which we approach these different important areas of our lives. And so that's really the whole purpose of this, right? That's that's why we're, um, that's hopefully why you're listening to Seeking Excellence. That's why I created it. That's why I continue to do it is that I invest a lot of time and energy and resources into learning about these different areas. I think about them basically constantly. God bless Emily, my wife, who has to listen to me rant about this stuff all the time. Because I do. I just constantly think about these different things. And so today, in talking about emotional excellence, the reason, if you remember, if you've listened to the series here and you listen to... um the overview of seeking excellence, what's the best way to live? You know that I believe that the emotional pillar was necessary because it really encapsulates all things that are relationships. And I think, you know, when we think about this kind of mind, body, and soul approach, this was the first like additional pillar to me that was brought forth and added and proposed really by Matthew Kelly in, in some of his books. And I was like, yes, that makes a lot of sense. I believe that largely the quality of your life is based on the quality of your relationships. And so to have strong relationships, you have to um, be intentional. You have to understand what healthy relationships look like. You have to equally understand what unhealthy relationships look like. So we're going to talk about that today. And then we're just going to talk about kind of the subcontinents, the the some subcontents, subcontents, like the subcategories of uh, emotional excellence. And so those include, for me, emotional intelligence, leadership, relationships, boundaries, crucial conversations, and more, right? It's not exclusively limited to that, but those are some of the main areas. So we're going to talk about all those today. Um, and, and to prep, what I did was I watched a video of Jordan Peterson basically saying that emotional intelligence is nonsense. So that was how I prepped for my podcast of talking about emotional intelligence. So I wouldn't say that was exceptionally helpful, um, but I did it. I did it regardless. So <laughs> I'm not going to really share much from that video, believe it or not. Um, we're going to talk about some other things. So first, I just want to kind of I want to kind of get some general thoughts on relationships. Again, I believe that the quality of your life is largely determined by the quality of your relationships. What relationships 
um, obviously the most important ones are going to have the biggest impact. So your relationship with God, number one, your relationship with your spouse, number two, your relationship with your children, number three, your relationship with friends and close family, your relationship with your community, your relationship with your coworkers, with your boss, right? Your relationship with your neighbors. Like think of how much worse all of your life is if all of those relationships suck. Starting with the top, if your relationship with God is no good, if your relationship with your spouse, whatever, um, is no good, your life is really, really hard and not that fulfilling and not that joyful, right? So one thing that's really interesting in relationships that we're going to get into, especially when we talk about boundaries and crucial conversations, is I think that it's such an interesting thing. And you can kind of see this when you watch two kids kind of develop a friendship of people figuring out like how to be in relationship with one another. Because I think as Catholics, as Christians, a lot of times we assume that all relationships are built on on love and kind of mutual affection and goodwill for each other. And I think uh, Aristotle does a good job of kind of breaking that down to say, you know, there's three types of relationships. One is a relationship of utility. So this is when we have things kind of like a a trade, right? Like we have um, things to offer each other, and that's kind of what the relationship is kind of founded on, right? Like I consistently help you move or help you do this or that. Or think about like in high school, right? Somebody who helps you with math and you help them um, with basketball, right? Like you you train and and play on their basketball team or let them play on your basketball team and you're playing pickup. Um, and they help you with their math homework or something like that, right? Like, I feel like school is an easy way to kind of see that. Um, but we also have those in the workplace in different ways. And um, even romantic relationships can be relationships to utility, right? It's not good, um, but it can be true. Then number two, you have relationships of pleasure. And so uh, and fr- he would say friendships of, of pleasure or utility. So the friendships of pleasure are obviously based around watching sports together or playing basketball together or... Um, drinking or smoking or partying or, right? Like that's kind of what they're rooted in. If that kind of source of pleasure and fun was no longer there or shared as an interest, the friendship kind of dies out. And we've all had those before. And then thirdly, lastly, you have friendships or relationships of virtue. And these are, these are relationships, these to me are the only of the three that are really based on love. Like really founded in and based on true love. Willing the good of another person. And the big thing about the relationship of virtue that makes it so exclusive and the only one to me based on love is that it is based on love, a reciprocal love, a reciprocating love that goes back and forth between the two parties. So there's plenty of relationships of utility or pleasure that one person truly loves the other, but the other does not. And when it's not balanced or reciprocated, then it's not really, it can't really be a friendship of virtue. And then even if that love is reciprocated, the difference of the friendship of virtue or relationship of virtue is that to to will the good of another person, you have to have some concept of what is the good of another person. So unvirtuous, unwise people, in my opinion, cannot be in these virtuous friendships or relationships. I can't be in a virtuous friendship if I'm actively encouraging my friend or my spouse or somebody else to sin. Now, you're going to occasionally do that. You're going to occasionally fall. But on a, on a general basis, is my trajectory upwards or downwards for this person? You know, so willing the good of another person, you're willing their virtue. In doing so, you're also working and developing your own virtue so that you have something to offer so that you can kind of be in this iron sharpening iron friendship relationship. These are very rare. I remember being told about this in college and somebody was like, you typically might have three to five of these in your lifetime. Now, I personally can think of a few friends of mine. I think I've been really blessed with these, actually. I would say that um, most, like, most of my close friends, I would say we've, we've kind of hit this category. Um, and you can kind of test that out to see, like, have you, are you willing to both call each other out on your BS? Are you willing to both call each other higher in different capacities, right? Are you willing to challenge or disagree with one another? Have you fought and gotten in arguments and had conflict and resolved it in a healthy manner? Um, at least somewhat, right? 
those are the big things. And then obviously you hope to have a marriage like that. I think that I do. Um, for sure, I feel like I'm in a relationship of virtue. And obviously, you're going to ebb and ebb and flow out of these three categories, right? But generally speaking, um, you obviously want your, your marriage and your primary relationships to be those of virtue. Now, the virtuous relationship, as I said, is kind of built and founded on love. The other relationships in your life, I feel like, are often, and this is where I'm going to get mildly controversial, and they're often founded and built on kind of obviously utility, pleasure, but I think kind of the underlying thing in that is kind of this concept of power and influence in a relationship. And what I think really, like people really struggle with this concept of power because it's really, really extremely, extraordinarily difficult to find the balance of it. Because what you typically have in relationships that are not relationships of virtue is you have one to two people in a relationship that are either excessively wanting power and control or you have a person or two people sometimes who refuse to take any power and control or are willing to let people kind of walk all over them. If you think about most relationships in your life, right, a lot of times it is imbalanced because you have a friendship with somebody who's older or they might be further along in life or they might be um, your boss, right? Or your coworker who's a little bit more senior at the company or your um, teammate on the basketball team or something that's better than you at basketball or uh, uh, your parent or, you know, an older family member, right? So these different relationships that we have with people, it's very seldom that you feel like you're absolutely peers. And that's why I think when I think of my friendships of virtue, the way I describe them and kind of look at them is those are my friendships with, that I have with people if you know, like I, I often say, you know, like Alessandro, who's my boss at Hallow, I think we are a good example of this, is that you have this relationship with somebody that you both look up to each other, right? You both look at the other person as somebody you admire, that you greatly respect. And I think of us, it's an easy example because of the fact that like, and I can give other examples of Bob and, and Lucas and other friends of mine, um, but Alessandro, I think of like him flying down to like my Ranger School graduation and me flying up to um, see him when he was working in New York, working on Wall Street or when he was founding Hallow, right? Like just had a great deep respect for what he was doing. And then also just our respect for our character as well, not just our accomplishments, but also our character and our conversions and and the life we've now created uh, for ourselves and for our families. Um, Those are kind of the relationships of virtue, but most of the times you don't have that, right? Like you and your uncle or your cousin or whatever, like you probably don't have like a mutual admiration for each other. You might have a mutual fondness or general goodwill, right? Or um, even even a love of some sort, but it's rare that you and your boss have a mutual admiration for each other. It's a great gift I'm able to have <laughs> with working, uh, you know, directly under Alessandro at Hallow, but it's not something that's very common. And so the the, the concept of power and control in a relationship I've often seen, and we're going to get into this really deeply when we talk about boundaries and crucial conversations. Like I said earlier, people either take the extreme that like they want to control and dominate totally, or they're not willing to do it at all. And then you have people who are willing to be like somewhat disagreeable, um, but not enough to be effective. And so I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about some of my experience with like narcissism and narcissists and different arguments and and things that I've had with people in conflict that I've had in relationships. And I just think it's so important for people to recognize who you are and the control and power that you do have in a relationship, right? I think that a lot of times when you're coming to crucial conversations or boundaries, it's, it's a negotiating table. And I think what people often forget is that, um, because we live in this weird time of like self-esteem where people are like, really low on themselves or like way too inflated on themselves, but can't find that like true humility, which is seeing yourself as you are in God's eyes, nothing more, nothing less. That really has an impact on people and the way that they approach relationships. So a good example of this, I used to joke semi-jokingly about my time in the army. I had a boss who I really despised. Um, and yeah, he was just uh, extraordinarily difficult um, kind of like not human. He was like very robotic. 
Um, but one thing I used to always say in the army is people, uh, you know, find themselves like when you're coming to negotiating, right? Different things throughout your time. It's not really a place where people think of negotiating in the military, right? And I get that. And the reason why people come to it with that so often is that you can't quit your job, right? So there's kind of this like, it's almost like you see a lot of times in marriage for people who really like believe in marriage is, is when you're in a relationship or you're in a commitment that you can't get out of versus if you're like a trash person or you're an accountant or you're um, literally any other job almost, you don't have a contract that's for a certain period of time. So you can quit, you can walk away and your job doesn't want to lose you. But when your job knows you can't quit and walk away, they can treat you pretty crappy. And so you have that sometimes in the military, obviously. Um, but the other thing that I came to realize during my time in the army, especially as I had to kick one of my soldiers out of the army for failing multiple drug tests, it's very difficult to, to fire people. So you have this kind of interesting balance where you can't quit, but you also can't really be fired. Um, you can be reprimanded. You can get in trouble. You can ultimately get kicked out. And it, when you do get kicked out, it's a really big deal to be like dishonorably discharged. But you have to do some pretty bad stuff to get to that point. And so I kind of had this mindset of like, dude, like we need an infantry officer to be in this position that I was in. I didn't really want to be in the position at one point when I was executive officer of our company. And so I'm like, you can't fire me. You hate me. So if you could get somebody else, you would. Um, and you know that I can't quit. So you treat me like shit. But at the same time, you can't, you don't have other people to just replace me with either. So I was already planning on getting out of the army. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about with people of like recognizing, I, I always say the juice that you have. So I'm going to use the word juice multiple times throughout this. That comes from the movie Juice with Tupac Shakur from the 90s, late 80s or 90s, I can't remember, um, where juice basically means power. It's kind of like a street thing. Um, but you got to recognize the juice that you have. And a lot of times when relationships or we're dealing with difficult parents or siblings or friends or bosses, you just forget that like your job doesn't necessarily want to just go out and try to find somebody to rehire, retrain, teach all the things you can do. And especially if you're good at your job, they don't want to lose you. But we allow people to take up all this juice and power in our relationships because we only look at our downsides and our worst case scenario. But you see in movies and negotiations and stuff all the time where people have to come and be like, you, you see like these big like aha moments a lot of times, right? Where it's like, yes, I know that if this happens to me, like I'll be screwed in X, Y, or Z, like these bad consequences will happen in my life. But what I also know is that you can't do this without me. And they're like these beautiful kind of like breakthrough moments for characters where you get to see this kind of like, wow, yeah, you do have some power. And I think we love those moments because we so often allow ourselves to just be like steamrolled by people. And so one thing that I think is really important with that, this kind of goes into like the four kind of main categor categories, categories, categories of emotional intelligence um, that I find really useful. I get the whole Jordan Peterson thing of emotional intelligence is nonsense. It's a made up word, whatever this is, I think like these four quadrants that I'm going to talk about are really important and they're super helpful in you kind of navigating your life and navigating the world. And so I don't know what it's called. I don't know if it's a real thing, but these four things are real. Um, and there's something that it's worth being intentional and learning about. So uh, the, the basic kind of four parts to emotional intelligence that most people adhere to or talk about is you have self-awareness and self-management, social awareness and relationship management. Other ways to say this is self-awareness, self-management, others' awareness, others' management. Others' management sounds pretty bad, so I do kind of like relationship management. So you can see if you can think of two, if you can think of quadrants, right? On the columns, you have self and social. So that's the, the kind of top of it. And then on the left side, on the, the y-axis, you have recognition and regulation. So self-awareness being self-recognition, social awareness being social recognition, self-management being self-regulation, relationship management being 
uh, social regulation. Now, I think I talked about this a little bit last week in mental excellence and talking about mental toughness, but I think it's really worthwhile and it's probably a little bit easier for men to do this because we can compartmentalize a lot easier. But I, I always talk about this concept of having an access control point between your ears, your eyes, your brain, and your heart, right? Your heart needs to have some type of security around it, but it doesn't need to be impenetrable, right? People go way too far and they make themselves just totally inaccessible when it comes to their emotions and their heart, right? They don't share their feelings with other people. They don't feel things properly. So things just kind of like, you. It, it, what that ends up becoming is you have kind of this like um, riot that starts to develop outside of your heart that eventually just like is a, is a coup and it just overcomes the security that you have and you just have a breakdown, right? And there's plenty of stories and examples out there with that. Um, one podcast I'm going to come back and back back to again and again throughout this is the two episodes I've done with Noble Gibbons, also known as the EQ Gangster. Highly recommend after this, if you want to check out more on this topic, he's a whole podcast on it and has done more episodes than I've done on Seeking Excellence. Really, really good stuff. And we've done two episodes for Seeking Excellence together. I'll probably get him on here again soon. Um, he's a great, great dude, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the concept, right? You can go overboard with this kind of idea of security around your heart, right? Like I'm never going to get hurt again. And you're just going to protect yourself at all costs. Like that's stupid, but it's also really stupid and childish and immature and, uh, just a negative life experience to have just free access, right? So you see something, you hear something, um, you think something and just immediately you're enraged, right? We all know people who have these kind of anger issues or they just get super sad and discouraged right away. And, and this can be really helpful to have, especially coming back to humility, understanding who you are in God's eyes, nothing more, nothing less. What I really like about this is I always say that I have this kind of access control point for both good and bad news. One thing I've kind of been reflecting on myself recently, I've, I've had uh, been really blessed with a number of people coming up to me in the last couple of weeks talking about either they love the podcast or like we were at Emily's, uh, a work party for Emily recently. And, and this lady comes up who I'd never seen before. I don't know if Emily knew her. And she was just like, hey, you're, are you, you're Emily Crankfield? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, so you must be Nathan Crankfield. And I was like, yeah. And she said, my son or friend or somebody listens to your podcast. And it was like the third time in a week, it was kind of random um, that somebody come up to, and they're very affirming and it's great to hear, right? And, and I love it. But what I've kind of come to realize is I, I don't have much of an emotional difference in my response to hearing that than I do to hearing people talk about how much they love Hallow. And what I found interesting about that, this is something I've really worked on for years, is I had nothing to do with the creation of Halo. I'm blessed to get to represent the organization, the company. Um, to, I'm blessed to get to work for the company. And I recognize that and appreciate it deeply. But when people you know, rave to me about it, it makes me really excited and happy for them that it's such a blessing in their life. But I, I'm not Alex Jones or Alessandro or Eric, right? Like I didn't have this idea. I didn't go through all the hard work and the grind years. Honestly, I joined at such a great time. I've had to grind in my own work in, in different ways, but it's not like I had the original thought and went through the incredible work that they did in the early years of, you know, putting all their money into it, basically not paying themselves. And like, they should take a deep pride in that. But what I found interesting is Seeking Excellence is the opposite, obviously much smaller, much less impactful in the world at large, but it's all my, uh, you know, I mean, 98%, 95%, my kind of brainchild and most of my effort and things like that. But I kind of realized, like, I like to be in this place where a stranger that comes up to me, um, I've given talks where somebody comes up to me and they disagree with me and are really upset with what I said. And I've had talks where people love what I said and are really happy with me. And I try to have the same response to both. Right. Um, and that kind of goes back to if you remember me talking, I think it was on the Andrew Tate podcast that I did last year on I read the poem If. Um, and there's that that last stanza of if um that I'm trying to remember how it starts. Oh, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, 
or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much. That to me was was just so great. You know, I, I, I remember reading that, man, almost a decade ago now, and just being incredibly moved, you know, of the idea of talk with crowds and keep your virtue, walk with kings nor lose the common touch, right? So to be able to walk with really popular, famous, rich, powerful people, um, but still remain in touch with the common man and the common things and the struggles of everyday life. And then also with that, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, right? And again, you can go a little overboard with that. If all men count with you, but none too much. So that means I give everybody this equal dignity and respect. But at the same time, I give special access to those who are closest to me. And so Emily, if she's rebuking me in something that I said, or if she thinks my ideas are off, or if she thinks um, the way I expressed something was too crude or harsh, I take it heavily into consideration and it weighs on me and hits me in much different ways than a stranger who's passing by. And the problem with a lot of you guys is you're letting strangers and random people on the internet, whatever it is, control and influence your emotions way too much. The other thing that went back and proceeded if in my life is this quote from T.I. in uh, uh, the song with John Legend. I can't remember the name. But he's got this great line in there that just stuck out to me when I was like 15. Don't let your emotions overpower your intelligence. And for me, that was just like really big. I was just like, man, I love that. Don't let your emotions overpower your intelligence. And I thought about it and prayed about it for years throughout my time in college. And that's what I think is so important. I I see and I've, I've been around, especially men who just like, the littlest things happens and they just freak out, right? It just, it has to ruin the day. It's got to be a big deal. You have to be really angry and let people know it. And I just have, I have little to no respect for that. Um, as you know, I'm a big Jordan Peterson guy. As you know, I'm ex-military. There's nothing uh, admirable about losing your head. As a matter of fact, going back to if, the first line is if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. And trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, like that's masculinity to me. Masculinity and being a good man is about like shit's going down and you're the calm one that people can look to and can count on to lead and make good decisions and to be a good man even in the midst of that adversity. Not the opposite, right? And so I have little to no respect for, for those who do that. And so I was like that when I was kind of in my teenage years and into college. And I was like, you know what? I got to do something with this. And that was one of the big things I really worked on with the Lord and and probably one of my best places of healing. My two places of really miraculous healing in my life were anger and anxiety. Because when I was a kid, I was really stressed out and anxious often. And then I had a lot of anger and stuff. and, And God really healed me of those two things. But let's get back to kind of these four main kind of categories here. So they kind of have subcategories under each one. So I'm going to read those to you. Uh, Self-awareness subcategories are self-assessment, self-confidence. Self-management subcategories are self-control, transparency, achievement, adaptability, initiative, and optimism. Social awareness subcategories, empathy, approachable, good listener, organizational awareness. Relationship management subcategories are influence, inspirational leadership, coach and mentor, conflict management, teamwork and collaboration, change catalyst. Now, I truly think that I could do an episode on each one of those quadrants. And so I'm probably going to save, you know, super deep diving into those. But one thing I would encourage you to kind of just like Google something like this um, and and just kind of rating yourself. This is what I did when I kind of gave this presentation, when I give this talk is I have people rate themselves from one to 10 in all four of those categories. You know, I've kind of talked a lot about self-awareness and self-confidence, self-control. And the reason why those are so important, because if you don't have those, going back to what I kind of, the groundwork I kind of laid with this idea of power imbalances in relationships, you have to know where you're at with those in order to really assess if you're being overly dominant and controlling or if you're on point. And one thing I mean by that is another, another great thing, and so much of this comes from Aristotle, right? So that's why I, I use him so often. 
if you ever heard Aristotle talk about virtues, you know that he says that virtues are in the mean. And what he means by that is that something like humility, since I've been hitting on that today already, humility is knowing what you are in God's eyes, nothing more, nothing less, right? This means that pride or arrogance, let's say, is, is an excessive side of that. Let's call it the right side. On the left side, you have like self-hatred, where you think you're unworthy of God's love, you're unworthy of anything good, you despise yourself. And then on the other side, you have arrogance, which is just like this bloated and inflated sense of self and like excessive self-love. You could probably say that it's not actual love, but self-obsession, right? The mean is humility. It's recognizing that you are a dignified child of God with inalienable human rights and worth. And at the same time, you're a sinner, you're broken, you're prone to sin and evil, um, and you're not perfect. That's kind of the balance, right? Um, And you need God's grace to be saved and to be good. If what what Aristotle says, basically, um, another great example of this is always courage, right? You have being rash on one extreme on the right side, and then on the left side, you have cowardice, right? And courage is kind of in the middle. Rashness being, um, I just say whatever I'm thinking, and I just like jump off a building with with no parachute, right? Like you're willing to do way too much and put yourself in danger, socially, physically, emotionally, whatever. And on the other side, you have cowardice, right? And you can think about those in relationships, right? You have people who are willing to just be like, super courageous and and get into bad relationships thinking that they can fix them. And you have people who are so afraid of commitment, they won't even get into relationships or go out on a second date, right? Because they're just afraid of this idea of commitment. Encourage is that middle ground, right? Where you're making sound decisions. You're not letting fear control you, but you're also not being ridiculous. And so basically what Aristotle says is you have to understand which and every virtue, basically, which side do I err on? E-R-R, error, error, right? Like, which side do I typically uh, fall on? Which extreme do I tend to lean towards in my failures? And so, for me, I know with something like uh, humility, let's say, I tend to be too self-confident, closer to arrogant than I am on self-hating. Um, courage, probably a little closer to rashness than I am to cowardice. Um, neither extreme is better than the other. They're both missing the mark. But the good thing is, he always says, like, kind of like if you have something, uh, I've, he- I've heard it kind of described as like a stick, or if you have like a, you know, something that's kind of like been bent so long, or like think of like a piece of paper, right? Or if you have like a folder or something, and it's bent so so far in one direction that it kind of gets stuck in that way, the best thing you have to do is kind of pull it in the other extreme, right? To kind of balance it out and find it back to the middle, you know? And so... Uh, it's like if you err on the side of cowardice, then you might want to try to be a little bit more rash and do some things that you think are probably dumb and stupid because that's probably how you'll find yourself back to the courage, right? The mean, the virtue of courage. Your self-awareness is so important because I have to understand when I'm setting boundaries in a relationship or I'm having a crucial conversation, all of these things, I have to have the self-awareness to know like, am I being arrogant in this? Am I be, am I upset about something that they did still? Like, it, are wounds still really fresh when I'm trying to navigate and decide what I want the future of our relationship to look like? Because we've all gotten in fights and arguments with people. Um, Emily and I, when dating, got in fights and arguments where we were like, I want to break up with this person, right? And when you cool things off, you can be like, okay, we actually might be able to get past this. Um, and that can go too far. And that's where you have to know where you err, which side you err on, right? It comes to something like forgiveness. Are you too forgive and forget? Or are you too hard on forgiving people? And then you have the self-management aspect, right? So self-control to say, okay, if I am too angry right now to talk about this, do I have the self-control to not lash out and freak out and yell and do all these things, but to, to say, okay, I need, I need a minute, I need to walk away, and I need to... um evaluate kind of how I'm feeling. Now, another thing that really helps with this, and I encourage you to Google this today, I'll, I'll try to put a link to it if I remember, is the, uh, the emotions wheel. 
So you can look up emotions wheel. There's like 50 different kinds of these. But it kind of has these six core emotions or feelings in the middle. And then as you go further and further out, it gives you more examples and words and adjectives to use, more descriptors to describe how you're feeling. So the six kind of core emotions they describe are anger, surprise, happy, sad, fear, and disgust. Now let's look at happy. In the next kind of row out, you have playful, content, interested, proud, accepted, powerful, peaceful, trusting, optimistic. Further out, you have free, joyful, successful, confident, respected, valued, hopeful, intimate, right? And so basically what it's trying to get you to do is like small kids can tell the difference between like happy, sad, scared, and angry, right? But as adults, it's really helpful if we can start to describe to ourselves and other people what we're actually feeling. So under anger, you have everything from aggressive to annoyed to numb to ridiculed, to resentful, betrayed, violated, furious, jealous, provoked, hostile. Those are wildly different experiences, but we kind of, in our basic level and understanding of emotions, we boil that down to anger. The better you can get at trying to analyze and say, okay, I I know that I'm in the angry direction right now, but do I feel skeptical or do I feel disrespected, right? That's really helpful for you to kind of see and understand what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, and to be able to explain that to others and to know if it's a good time to kind of enter into boundary setting, um, crucial conversations, and the like, right? All right, so let's take a look now. We're going to talk about healthy relationships. Going back to kind of the four quadrants again, you got social awareness and relationship management. Understanding those things and understanding where we kind of rank in empathy, good listening, um, influence, uh, conflict management, that's going to really help us to know if we're even capable or ready to be in a healthy relationship. But these are just some marks, some signs of a healthy relationship that I've come up with and that I think you can kind of evaluate and start to wonder, you know, and grade your own relationships on these kind of categories. Mutual respect, mutual benefit slash growth. So interdependence. So mutual respect, we've already kind of talked about, right? Mutual respect is a step down from mutual admiration, right? And mutual like um, looking up to of each other. I don't think that was a grammatically correct sentence. But uh, so I think that's important. Mutual respect is a, a step below that where it's like we don't necessarily have to admire each other, but we're at least we're respectful to one another right? At least we're not actively disrespectful. And that can take a number of different forms, right? Uh, The next one, mutual benefit and growth. This is another thing that I loved that I learned from Matthew Kelly is, how do I know if something is good for me? How do I know if I have a good uh, movie or a good music or a good book or a good parish or a good whatever? He describes it as it is Something that is good is something that makes you a better version of yourself, right? Or that helps to lean towards that or promotes that or at least is conducive to that, right? That's what I think you can evaluate your relationships on is how do I know I have a good relationship? I know that because it helps me to become a better version of myself. And this is probably when it comes to relationship, honestly, in the emotional pillar, my most frustrating thing that I often see with people is people overrating the people they're in relationship with. (laughs) It drives me nuts. I think it's hilarious. You see, I I started to notice this when I was like in college. I started putting the dots together on this. Where you have some some young girl, right? I'm talking like 22, 23, 24. You see it on social media a lot. Most of these people who do this shit have unfollowed me at this point and I've unfollowed them back. So I don't see it nearly as much as I once did. But... You have these people who, yeah, a young girl who's just like totally into partying and hooking up and just kind of like living without God, like super lost in the world. They're just like, I have the best parents. I have the best dad in the world. And it's like, you very clearly do not. And you have not. And if you did, he must be just unfathomably disappointed in the way you turned out, right? Like, 
you think about this with people who have very negative friends, the same people often in my life that come to mind when I think about this, who live these kind of ratchet lifestyles and um, live in wildly medio- medi- mediocrity and do not fulfill their life's potential in any concept of the the term, um, will say, oh, I have, I have the best friends in the world or this, like, she's such a good, like, he's such a good person. I, you hear people say that all the time. And I'm like, I wish we would stop saying that. We don't have to, you're not forced to say the opposite, right? You don't have to just trash people all the time. But we should stop saying things are good or people are good when they're not. And and you can at least, like, if you don't have to judge someone's heart to say if they are good or bad objectively about them. But you can at least stop saying they're good in relationship to you. So you can stop saying somebody's a good friend or a good parent or a good spouse or whatever it might be, right? Um, as you can see in that relationship that they're in, whether it's in relationship to you or not, um, if they're if they're good at that, right? Do they make the other person a better version of themselves? No, then they're not good at that thing. And so I wish we'd stop saying that. Uh, so I think that's how you can evaluate a lot of your relationships is, is this person, is this person good? Is this person a good blank, a good father, a good girlfriend, boyfriend, a good friend, a good coworker and treat people, at least give them the time and attention and effort into the relationship in accordance with where they are in that scale. And I don't, I think this is one of the biggest things that gets missed oftentimes is it's not selfish, in my opinion, to do that. And why is that? A lot of times people will say, well, it's just because like you're saying that I should treat people based on how they treat me. No, I'm not. You treat people with dignity, respect, and love no matter what, right? They could be the worst people in the world. We treat them with dignity, respect, and love. But I'm talking about specifically the time and effort and energy you pour into a relationship. If somebody is a bad friend, yes, I do think you should pour less time and energy and effort into that relationship than somebody who at least has the potential or is actively a very good friend in your life. I think that's the only thing that makes sense. Now, people look at that and they say, well, that's really selfish. Why is it all about you? Well, it's not all about me because I know that I'm going to be a better spouse a better friend, a better follower of Christ, a better father, a better son, a better coworker, a better citizen in my community. If I have good friends and pour my energy and time into good relationships, then if I have bad ones. So it's not just about me. This is the difference of the seeking excellence mindset is that I'm a steward of the things God has given me in my life. And it's my job, it's my responsibility to steward all of the things that God has given me. I have to be mindful of all of my roles, not just uh, compartmentalizing them and taking them one at a time. Because it's that, it's that losing the forest for the trees mindset where you are ignoring the fact that, yes, me staying in a relationship with this guy will lead me to being a bad spouse and parent and everything else in my life in the future. Yes, me staying in a relationship and friendship with this woman is a net negative on my relationship with my spouse and my ability to follow Christ and my uh, ability to be a good mom. But I'm going to stay in relationship with them because for that person, I believe that it's what's best for them. So you're so focused on one person. And this is something I saw constantly in my life and had to really evaluate when I was leaving college. And I've talked about this before too, of like, I have plenty of people at home in my family and friends I grew up with who I think need this seeking excellence mindset. Now I could have stayed at home, gradually lost my fire for my faith for cultural and social issues, uh, my understanding of the truth and my commitment to it and stayed friends with those people and maybe made a 2% difference in their life because most of them aren't open to changing. Or I could go and follow the path I think God laid out for me leaving those people seemingly behind, right? To push forward and come out here to, you know, move west and reach thousands of people through the podcast, through speaking, through social media, 
stay more and more and get more and more on fire and obsessed and in love with this lifestyle, this mindset and the wisdom that comes along with it. Those are my two options. And so often we look at, but what about my, my God brother or my nieces and nephews? And it's like, yes. What about the grand scheme of your life and what God's looking to do with you? Yes, you might have a friend or a significant other who is better off with you in their life. But what about all the other people? And this is something that I've kind of understand even deeper and want to talk about more when it comes to economics. Is this concept of opportunity cost. We just always assume that there's such a limited piece of the pie, right? And we assume that if we take money from one person and give it to another, that's always better, right? We, we only focus on, uh, you know, I've read this great book, Economics in One Lesson, and he talks about how, and this I think is the most applicable thing here that is a, an analogy, is he says that there's two big problems, two primary problems with all economic uh, fallacies and bad policies, as he says, they only see and, and consider the immediate outcomes. And two, they only consider the outcomes and impacts on a specific small group of people. So this could be applied to something like minimum wage. It could be applied to something like um, taxes, right? It, you only think of the immediate outcomes and you only think of how it impacts a small group of people. And that's what I think a lot of us do with our relationships is we stay in these bad relationships for the immediate impact um, of feeling bad, of, of avoiding pain, of ending a relationship with somebody. And we think of only how it impacts us and that person. Now, I often argue and advocate that it's actually more selfish to stay in bad relationships for that one person than it is to forego relationship or pull back at least time and energy and effort from a relationship to put into others. Because a lot of times why people do it, it's agreeableness and niceties. It's not actually selfless. I've seen people who have allowed themselves to be used and run over like a doormat, walked all over by different people, that they actually have a greater fear of the conflict or of losing that person or of having people dislike them, people out there in the world who dislike them, then they do have that, that fear outweighs the love that they have for their other people. So you, when you have somebody, like for example, if you have a, a woman or a man who's staying in a relationship with somebody who's actively bad for them and they're considering marrying that person, they fear losing that person or they fear the, the fight that would ensue from breaking up or the pain or the missing them or whatever, that fear is greater than the love they have for their future kids. That's what I believe. Because if you truly loved your future kids the way that you should, you would never pick this person as their parent. So if you do that, then that's, that's your priorities. That's, and and to, to act like that is the selfless one and that that's the loving and good option, to me, is one of the devil's greatest tricks. And I think he gets people to stay in relationships, friendships, marriages, or not marriages, uh, but like romantic relationships and things like that with people who are just bad for them and bad for their families and bad for others. Um, and ultimately keep them from reaching their full potential and being the saint that they could be, that could be the great tool in the hand of the Lord to help change the world. That to me is the, is the greater sin, the greatest sin. The other one, the former, I don't think is a sin at all to say, this person's bad for me, makes me a worse version of myself. The world needs me at my best. And so I'm going to distance myself from this person, no matter who they are, other than your spouse, really, if you're already married. That's why this shit matters before you get married. You got to choose who you get married to wisely. All right, let's speed this up. I, I got off on a deep one on that. Other things in healthy relationships, you've got forgiveness, active listening, support, and service. That active listening and forgiveness obviously is reciprocal, not all one-sided. Um, uh, support and service oriented, respected boundaries, healthy and respectful conflict resolution. So, those last two are what we're going to kind of get into next. Um, just a quick, just a quick thought on forgiveness and active listening, and support and service. These are some of the easiest things to evaluate to say, okay, are we in, in this relationship? Are we just totally off on this? Do I find myself? I, I think of this sometimes with parents or 
Um, it can happen with spouses. It can happen with friends, obviously, where it's like, I've had to forgive, you know, certain people in my life of so much that happened in my childhood or of other points in your life. And then it's like, then you become the adult and you make some mistakes, right? You forget some things, you distance yourself, you whatever. And the forgiveness is so hard to come by on the other, on the other side. That to me is, is a point at which it's like, okay, you know, you, you at some point have to start to space yourself and distance yourself from certain people when, when they get like that. Um, it's like if you just spend years, you know, I think of this, uh, I've had some of these conversations and issues with my dad sometimes where it's like, we've had our own problems and, and growing up was, was tough in its own way. Um, and there was times in my life in my childhood where he'd be gone for months at a time. And then it's like, if I distance myself, you know, doing the, uh, uh, life-giving wounds, like divorce, child, a child of divorce retreats and things like that. And I space myself out a little bit or whatever. And it's like, and I try to come back. It's, it's like, it's much slower than when I was the kid and my dad left, which to me is the greater problem. Like that's, that's where a lot of this shit stems from <laughs> my desire to space myself out now. And so it's like, it's, it's just ironic with some people when you see that and you're like, okay, you've been so desperate and desirous of me forgiving you for the wrongs you've done. But then if I even do something, you know, one one hundredth of those, largely in response to the wounds created by your wrongs done, and then I seek forgiveness, it's slow and debated and hard to come by. It's like, hmm. You know, and that's not a perfect example. I'm not totally saying that, but I wanted to give a personal one there just because it's so hard to talk about this shit abstractly. And I think you deserve to have personal examples to really show and, and be real enough to kind of evaluate this in your own life. Same with active listening. Uh, you know, I've had to criticize friends and, and people who are close to me before with this too, of like, you know, I, I, I've, this is something I've really worked on for the last like six years of like really listening to people. Um, reciprocating what they say, trying to be more interested than interesting. This is something that I really try to do when somebody comes up to me and says they, says they like the podcast is they already listen to me. They already know enough about me. So why don't I just ask about them and make them feel important and interesting? But I've had you know people in my life who I've been close with where I'm like, hey, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot more listening than, than you seem to be um about important and big things in my life while I listen to a lot of important and big things in your life. And I do have friends, there's no doubt about it. I think of Lucas immediately when I think of this. Um but I have several friends who are like this for me. Bob does this for me sometimes too where like I can there's just it, it's so hard for me sometimes when I do have the people who really understand me and get me that I do just want to vent to them. And so there's times where I catch up with some of my friends where I just, I talk the whole time and I'm just like, damn, man, I'm sorry. I just did that, <laughs> you know, because it's like, all I do is talk. Um, but it's hard sometimes you get into this kind of place in life where you feel like a lot of people can't relate or understand what you're talking about or going through. And so it's helpful to have friends like that. And so I'm grateful for that. But that's, a, that's an area where I have to be transparent and see that sometimes I'm on the winning side. Sometimes I'm on the losing side of that, right? Sometimes I am the one that's not doing enough listening. And sometimes I'm not being listened to enough. And you have to express that, right? That's that's part of having healthy relationships. All right, unhealthy relationships, what are some signs of those? You've got manipulation, gaslighting, poor or non-existent conflict resolution, lying, one-sided service or giving. So like only one side's willing to really serve or sacrifice for the relationship. Unhealthy dependence, controlling, non-existent or violated boundaries. And so I'm kind of thinking here as I get to the end of this, um, boundaries and crucial conversations. I kind of want to do episodes with Emily on this. And so I think what I'll try to do is I will plan to have um, this week's guest podcast be with Emily. And we will talk through boundaries. We She just recently read the book. I read it a few years ago um, by Dr. Henry Cloud. And we'll talk about boundaries and crucial convos. Um, and that'll kind of wrap it up. The other thing that kind of falls into this emotional excellence stuff is uh, excellence in leadership. And so that could be a whole pro uh, podcast in and of itself. And so I'll probably do some stuff on that with someone. Um, yeah, but I hope this was helpful for you. I hope you start to understand. And we're going to get into a lot more of this kind of power stuff and these types of things with, with Emily. Um, 
but just just start to to think about yourself in the, in these different ways, these different categories and areas of like where what you probably can think about it immediately. A, a good exercise would be to think about or write down ideally what are the five best relationships in your life and what are the five most unhealthy. You can say instead of best, maybe healthiest and unhealthy. And then you can maybe see good and bad for you, right? Like which relationships, which people in your life most actively help you to be a better version of yourself? Which ones most actively prohibit you being the best version of yourself? Those things are really important as well. And so I want to encourage you to uh, to think about that. And um, yeah, just try to figure out, you know, like uh, who who is it? Who are, who are your good influences? Who are your bad ones? Um, and how can you really start to try to, yeah, focus more in on the, the good relationships and, and invest more time in those and and really pray about it? That's something that that really came to me and that I was like, you know, obviously Jesus tells you you have to forgive your brother 70 times, seven times. I took an entire class in college, a whole semester on forgiveness and mercy. And we read a lot of different books and a lot of different perspectives on forgiveness and mercy. And there's always that tough balance, right? Of And we're going to talk about this in the next episode on forgive, forgive and forget, or do you forgive and make differences afterwards? Right? Like, do I, if, if somebody wrongs me, do I have to forgive? Does forgiving them have to entail? Does it have to mean that I allow the relationship to assume, resume, resume the same way that it was before? So if it's a friend, do I have to immediately go back to hanging out with them just as much as I was hanging out with them before? Or no, can I actually uh, start to limit that a little bit, right? These are the things you have to think about. Um, and it's difficult, right? It's very, very hard to think about those things. It's hard to navigate that. It's hard to discern what changes need to be made. Um, but we have to rid ourselves of this, this guilt trip that we give a lot of times. Because what I come to realize, what it boils down to to me is... We often don't take responsibility for things we should take responsibility for, and we often take responsibility for things we should not take responsibility for. And again, that to me is the greater sin. It's worse to have taken responsibility and ownership of something that God never told you to do and ign- while ignoring the things that God did actively tell you to do, right? And so that's what I think it really comes down to is, are you really taking responsibility and ownership of the things that are really, really assigned to you? Um, and trying to live those out as best you can, uh, because that's what you're going to be graded for at the end of the day. And so God gives us a report card, um, and he gives that partially through scripture, partially through tradition, but then partially through prayer, right? A lot of this stuff is not written out in the Bible, whether or not you should stay friends with your friend from high school, um, or it's not in church teaching. You're not going to find that in catechism. A lot of that you have to navigate, discern, and pray about on your own, and then be courageous enough and disciplined enough to actually execute and carry out that decision. Now, I want to thank you for for tuning in today. I hope you really enjoyed today's podcast. It was so fun to talk about all this stuff with you. I love getting into this. And if you want to go deeper into some of this content with me, we're going to be having discussions and talks and um, just more exclusive content on our Locals page. So you can find that at seekingexcellence.locals.com. If you don't know what Locals is, it's a website basically created to help uh, foster community. And so people like us who have similar interests and like, or we're like-minded in many ways, um, but different and unique in our own ways as well. We can have discussions and conversations about these important topics. Like how do you have healthy relationships? Like what does forgiveness look like? Like what is emotional intelligence? And so I'm going to be posting a lot of the resources and things that I refer to in this, the links of stuff that I've read and gone through, um, that have helped me. And so if you want to get access to that, join our Locals page. You can be a free or a paid member, but we really just want you to be there, want you to enter into the conversations. It's great if you can support the channel. As I've said before, if you support us through Locals, the money is going to go to paying the people who help me to edit the podcast, edit the videos, as well as to getting better setups so we can reach more people. If you're watching this on YouTube today, you can see I just have our two Uh, bedroom closets behind me, which is not a really super dope setup. And so we're looking to get into more of a studio. I'm looking to get better camera quality, better audio quality, better everything so we can have better content for you and share this message, this philosophy, this wisdom with other people as best as possible. And so thank you so much for your 
willingness to listen. Thank you for sharing the podcast if you've ever shared it before. We're looking to make 2023, obviously, our biggest year ever, and we need your help to do that. We need you to share it. We need you to pray for us. I need you to um, talk about the podcast and uh, post it to social media. And and you guys who are listening now, you know, I plan to do this for a very long time. I'm so grateful for all of you because you are the early adopters. You are the early seekers of excellence. You're the first uh, supporters and members of this locals community. You're helping to build it up. You're helping to believe in it and to make this dream and this mission come true. I, I, I really believe that God has plans for seeking excellence, that he wants to help people to, uh, he wants me to help people to take better ownership of their life, to be more intentional in the way that they live. And so we get to grow together. It's a great blessing for me to be able to be your spiritual older brother and to kick you in the ass every now and then and tell you to be better um, and challenge you to do hard things like set up boundaries and have good conversations with people and to um, be more mentally tough and resilient in this world that we're living in because God needs you at your best. I need you at your best. The church needs you at your best. Your family needs you at your best. And you deserve to see what life is like at your fullest potential. So continue to fight hard, be your best, and God bless you.